Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, where healthcare meets business, with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litzy. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Karen Litzy, owner of Karen Litzy Physical Therapy, located in the heart of New York City. On today's episode, we are talking about the role of the athletic trainer within a high school, within a university, medical systems, outpatient physical therapy offices, and of course, where a lot of people think of athletic training, and that's on the field or the court within a sports organization. And to help us through that talk today, I'm really happy to have on the podcast, Dr. John Gallucci. He is the CEO of JAG One Physical Therapy, one of the fastest growing comprehensive physical and occupational therapy practices, providing rehabilitative care to patients and sports teams in over 110 locations. John is duly licensed as an athletic trainer and physical therapist. He began his career with an organization such as the New York Knicks, New York University, New York Red Bulls, and within several major healthcare systems. So he is the perfect person to talk about the role of athletic trainers because within his company, they employ many, many athletic trainers and do a lot of coverage for different sports teams all across the tri-state area. So a big thanks to John for coming on today. And if you're wondering about athletic training, what it involves, this is the perfect podcast to listen to. So big thanks to all of you for listening and enjoy today's episode. Hey, John, welcome to the podcast. I am happy to have you on. Karen, very excited to be here with you today. Yes. And today we're going to be talking about athletic trainers, the importance of athletic trainers and how they work with physical therapists, work within the community. But before we get to all that, I would love to hear a little bit more about you and about JAG1. And then we'll, because then I think people will have a better idea as to why you have the arsenal of athletic trainers that you have. Well, thank you for that introduction. <clears throat> Ultimately, I am a, a New York, New Jersey resident my entire life. I've had the privilege of working in every level as an athletic trainer, certified athletic trainer, from the high school level to the NCAA Division Three to one, the professional sports. I've had the opportunity to be around the New York Knicks, the New Jersey Devils, and of course, the Metro Stars, which became the Red Bulls. And for the last 17 years, has worked as the medical coordinator an assistant to the chief medical officer of Major League Soccer, caring for over a thousand athletes now across the country. Um, so very, very excited about that. I also started a company, legacy company called JAG Physical Therapy. Uh, and over the years, we, we grew tremendously in the sports medicine realm, but also treat all different pathologies in the musculoskeletal range. Um, as we were, we were growing, we realized that uh, there was a lot of companies that were trying to do this whole concept of consolidation and wanted to put us out of business. Had a great colleague of mine in Brooklyn, Staten Island, that I knew for 30 years, and we came together and we formulated JAG One. And now I'm proud to say our company is still servicing the community that we started our practices in. Um, we have warded off all the takeover fears, and we're still operating the same businesses we we operated 20 years ago. It's just that many of our colleagues with the same culture of outcome-based physical therapy have been nice enough to come and join under our flag. And now we have over 120 locations 
in the five boroughs, Long Island, Westchester, Rockland County, uh, New Jersey from point to point, and Bucks County in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And it's all because of great colleagues from over the years that have just come under our flag, and we work collaboratively providing outcome-based physical therapy care. Um, I am a certified athletic trainer and a licensed physical therapist. Mm -hmm. um, I've had the privilege, as I said, to work in many realms. But as a certified athletic trainer, I'm definitely getting a little gray, as you can see. I've been I've been working in athletic training rooms since since 1991. I've been certified since 1993. I think I'm dating myself a little bit. <laughs> but the profession of athletic trainer is an unbelievable, rewarding profession, and we are there, right there on the court, the field, the ice, the the grass, uh, right when the injury happens. And as a physical therapist, you're always asking how it happened, and either hearing it from the athlete or hearing it from the injured patient or hearing it from the doctor. As a certified athletic trainer and physical therapist, I get to see it from the field or the ice and, and bring it into the, the physical therapy realm. We've been very fortunate because there was a need in the tri-state area, especially in New York. Um, New York had issues in recruiting athletic trainers because of the component of the cost. Uh, five boroughs in New York City Right. Uh, not inexpensive. As you know, you live in Manhattan. It only goes more expensive every year. Uh, so I started many, many years ago in the basement of Columbia University's athletic department, a business that was to help athletic trainers cover each other. So if you wanted to go to a wedding, if you had to go out on maternity leave, if you had to take sick leave, if you lost somebody, unfortunately, in the family, or you just wanted to take a PTO day, as athletic trainers, we couldn't do that because there wasn't many certified. So it, all the way back to 1994, 95, when I was at Columbia, we all started covering each other. All the colleges and universities and pro teams started to share staff when somebody needed something. I realized that as I opened up JAG and JAG One, and it metamorphosed into a service business that now offers athletic training services to uh, athletic clubs uh, for children, for adults. We do adult leagues, um, as you can imagine, academies and all the different specialized sports. And then we go all the way up. We actually assist throughout the season the New Jersey Devils when they go on the road and, and we help with them. We also do all their physicals. Um, so we've been very, very fortunate and our athletic training service business just complements our physical therapy. And, you know, I think a lot of people as physical therapy owners or entrepreneurs, they might think physical therapist, physical therapy, physical therapist assistants and aides. So why hire an athletic trainer if you are the owner of a physical therapy business? What what do what's your answer to that? I'm sure people ask well, you that, that all the time. That, that question's asked many times. It's an awesome question, but one of the biggest things we've learned over the years is a multidisciplinary approach. Um, and in sports, which I've worked for the last 35 years of my career, you see the best benefits for rehabilitation in a multidisciplinary approach. Let it be orthopedic and primary care and chiropractic and physical therapy and athletic training and performance working collaboratively. At JAG One Physical Therapy, we've been able to melt that together with physical therapists, occupational therapists, occupational therapy assistants, physical therapy assistants, exercise physiologists, performance coaches, and certified athletic trainers. So we do have a multidisciplinary approach. Also, our athletic trainers that do want to work in the clinic, based on licensure, can only work as aides, and they function as an aide 
but they have the opportunity that they're not only in a clinic, they can go out on the field, the ice, the court. But our athletic training service business is primary to outside of the clinic mm -hmm. um, and servicing all of the communities. And when I say servicing all the communities from all the way to Pennsylvania, to the top of Westchester, to all the way out Long Island, we are covering all over the area in, in, in a, a normal athletic training uh, demographic. So, and we're, we're lucky about that. But you also have, as you can imagine, PTAs that want to be physical therapists, athletic trainers that want to be physical therapists, physical therapists that want to go on and get their master's degree and become athletic trainers so they can do field coverage. Mm -hmm. um, but it is that multidisciplinary approach that gets the most success. Let's face it, you and I as therapists are, are, are evidence-based physical therapists. We look at research. We've learned many times over that athletes can decrease their incident of injury by playing multitude of sports. But when you specialize in one, your incident of injury goes up. Mm -hmm. So if you're willing to do a multi-planar different components of sports, why wouldn't you take a multidisciplinary approach to your healthcare? Yeah. And why do you think there is a shortage of athletic trainers? That's an awesome question and a taboo question. So hold on tight. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, like any type of healthcare provider career, there's always the clinical mind and the academic mind. And you know that in the physical therapy world. Um, and, and we also now have the, uh, the government affairs mind. So technically, you've got three different worlds. But at the end of the day, as providers, we're here to treat the American public. We're people treating people. But at times, the academics, and I'm not beating up all the academics. I've got a tremendous amount of friends that are academic. But a lot of times, the academics never look at the practical approach to the provider in the community and what's needed in the community. Um, I don't know if you follow any of the articles that WebPT puts out or any publications that WebPT puts out. You know, ultimately, if you looked at the musculoskeletal diagnoses in the United States, physical therapists only treat 10% of it, and there's mm -hmm. a lost component. But yet, in the physical therapy world, we had Vision 2020, which was to make the United States of America make sure they know we are the rehabilitative specialists. But physical therapists kind of hurt themselves that we marketed and built that we're the physical therapy specialist. We went on for our, transi our transitional and now entry-level doctoral programs. And we did it in such a way that was great that we didn't hurt the cohorts of graduates. So physical therapists in Vision 2020 with Marilyn Moffitt and Art Nelson, one of my mentors, had a great, who's now passed, God rest his soul, but ultimately took an approach of that it was multifaceted on an academic side, a clinical side and a service side and a marketing side. When we look at the athletic training profession and you look at what they've tried to do, which is again, better the education. They went from a bachelor of science to a master's degree. They never took into consideration what type of obstacle that would be for the schools. And ultimately, if a school didn't already have a graduate program and had an undergrad program and were mandated to make it a bachelor's program to a master's program, they dropped it. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, if you look at some of the bachelor programs here in the tri-state area, you've lost about three or four different programs. Um, and only because the schools didn't want to increase their, their, their component of investment into the profession. 
So that's one major issue that you decrease schools based on wanting a higher educated athletic trainer, which is a positive thing, but we should have thought that through. The second thing we did was we went into this component of changing programs that were willing to change from bachelor's to master's, but we didn't keep up with the cohorts. So because we didn't keep up with the cohorts of acceptance, you graduated your bachelor of science, you accepted your master's students, but those master's students have two years before their entry level. So what you really did was created a void of certified of athletic trainers graduating with an entry level degree because you stopped the bachelor program and went right into the master's program. So you had that gap. So ultimately, when you look at the athletic trainers across the country, there's a decrease of graduating cohorts, which ultimately causes a problem when you're trying to fill positions. Then you have a, a, a wonderful scenario, unfortunately, poor for Mr. Hamlin, but a scenario that highlights certified athletic trainers and the importance, I'm doing it for 30 years, but all of a sudden we're important. But anyway, this important thing of having a trained medical professional there immediately to tend to you. And, and thank God Mr. Hamlin turned out all right and, and he's healthy, mm-hmm. thanks to the fast-moving certified athletic trainers. So now what do politicians do? They all jump on and say, oh my God, Every single sport in America can't be played unless there's a certified athletic trainer on the field. So right now in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Ohio, you have Florida, you have all these politicians trying to push bills through that you can't have an athletic event unless you have a certified athletic. Ultimately, what's going to happen is if any of those bills pass and mandate certified athletic trainers at every sporting event, we don't have enough certified athletic trainers, the cohorts are catching up, and ultimately we need to take a deep breath. So I'm actually consulting to several of the politicians and saying, listen, it can't be you want this because if you don't have that, you're gonna be canceling a tremendous amount of youth sports. Right. So how about we collaborate and we talk about emergency action plans? We talk about the engagement of certified athletic trainers. We talk about the engagement of physicians. We talk about the engagement of your emergency department and your EMTs that are local until you get to a point that the cohorts catch up and you're graduating enough certified athletic trainers. It used to be a certified athletic trainer at the high school level was only mandated for football. I don't know if you've seen a I don't know if you've seen a lacrosse game or a basketball game or a hockey game. They're pretty sure, aggressive. Sure. Some schools have hired athletic trainers. Colleges hired for each sport, uh, especially at the Division One level. But at the Division Three level, remember I worked in both levels. We had three athletic trainers covering seven hundred and fifty athletes. When I went to the Division One level, we had nine athletic trainers covering seven hundred and seventy-five athletes. Little bit different, but again, the economics change at the division one. Mm-hmm. I think the collaborativeness of the community and the importance of certified athletic trainers needs to continue to grow, but I think we need to work collaboratively and do it on an educated component. And back to my academic friends, we need to talk on the practical side of things before decisions are made. And I'll tell that to my academic physical therapy friends and my academic athletic trainers. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously a lot more factors go into this shortage than I 
was expecting to hear. So what's the solution? So it's an awesome question. You know, the solution is, first of all, the graduate level cohorts are catching up. So technically, we're already in the first full year of, of the first years of acceptance. Now we have a situation that we're going in that will be graduating next May, more athletic trainers than we graduated this May. One thing we do need to do is we need to credential other schools and universities for the schools we lost so you get back to the appropriate. We should be graduating, in my mind, at least eight to 10,000 athletic trainers every year prepared to take the national board exam. Um, as we see in physical therapy, again, a profession that's very governed by academic and very governed by, by consumer legislation and, and, mm -hmm. and a board exam, you know, the physical therapists have been able to figure it out, but we have shortages in the physical therapy world as well. Mm -hmm. um, the need for physical therapists is out there. You and I in the New York area see a physical therapy office every block. But if every if, if we took 50% of the population of the five boroughs, we don't have anywhere near enough physical therapists. You know, everybody always says, John, you know, we see you all over Brooklyn and JAG One Physical Therapy is the largest provider of outpatient physical therapy in Brooklyn, the largest provider of outpatient physical therapy in the borough of Staten Island. And ultimately, when you sit there and say you're the largest provider and there's still so much opportunity of growth mm -hmm. based on the populace of those two boroughs, just imagine if you throw Queens and Bronx and, and Manhattan and then the surrounding areas of Westchester, Rockland County. Uh, a few of my colleagues have tried to take over the world and gone to 10, 15, 20, 30 states. John Gallucci is born and raised right here in the tri-state area, a little bit of Connecticut. We have plenty of populace that we can take care of here. And we are a grounded New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania company and very happy and pleased to serve. I want everybody in, in those states to look at JAG1 Physical Therapy. And my, my marketing team gets mad at this, so please. Um, you know, I used to say I want everybody to when they need physical therapy to roll their their out of their lips. Jag one physical therapy. I got to go to Jag one physical therapy. I used to say like Coca-Cola and they were like, no, 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 that's bad. So I said, all right, well, I like Coca-Cola. So, you know, but they you know, you're a healthcare company. But now I say dark chocolate Hershey bars because I guess that's good for our heart. But, yes. you know. I want I want people to understand that JAG One Physical Therapy is here for our And when we're, you know, we talked about the lack of athletic trainers and, and maybe how that can be addressed. One question that I see come up, and this is sort of on on social media or one topic, is the pay of athletic trainers. And you know, we talked about God living in New York, it's so expensive, different in other parts of the country. So what is there a solution for that? And that's in the physical therapy world as as well, right? Loans pile up. It's sort of that that loan to life ratio. You know, I graduated a long time ago, so I didn't have the amount of potential loans that that uh, graduates are having now. You, you don't have the do large we... debt ratio. So, no. so you know, the, the biggest issue is, first of all, listen, we choose to live in one of the the, the most expensive areas mm -hmm. in, in the country, let alone one of the most expensive areas in the world. You know, even when we go right. over to Europe and we go to a, a big city in Europe, it's still less expensive mm -hmm. than, than, than the New York tri-state area. 
Um, ultimately, listen, certified athletic training salaries are on the rise. The problem you have is in the world of athletics, healthcare in certain realms has always looked at a loss leader. That's including physicians, that's including emergency action plans, that's including certified athletic trainers, physical therapists. The, so it's always been just an expense. You can't generate capital in a pro sports or division one level. There are schools that have tried to take insurance. There's some schools that do it very successful. They hire a physical therapist, so they're able to build through it. Actually, one of the one of the original schools to start it were Clemson and Syracuse, Penn State, where they try to marry this component and generate a capital out of it through it through insurance and, and things like that. But the bottom line is, is every healthcare provider we saw in the last four years was underpaid. That's why we have nursing shortages, we have physician shortages, physical mm -hmm. shortages, certified athletic trainers. So ultimately, I think the United States is catching up after the last four years, especially after the pandemic, that the reason is how important healthcare is. And it's not just the treatment of, it's the prevention of. And people have to understand physical therapists and certified athletic trainers are the professionals that understand how to prevent it. They understand how to treat it. Mm -hmm. So why not? And we're starting to see some of the insurance companies put some dollars towards prevention. But back to your direct question of certified athletic trainers, you're seeing some increases, but you still have schools that don't have full-time positions. They pay on an hourly rate. Mm -hmm. They have a budget line, which most schools do. And, you know, at the end of the day, some schools will get rid of. So if you go before the pandemic here in the state of New Jersey, before the pandemic and before the Hamlin story, you had probably 20 high schools eliminate their certified athletic trainer position. And then they tried to outsource it to companies like mine that refused to take the contract because the board eliminated the full-time position. That's no way to get the coverage you need by a board eliminating the position. So ultimately, we worked in tandem with schools to keep the position open. We'll cover until the position comes. But before the pandemic, you had now after the pandemic and the Hamlin story, you're seeing schools now realize the value of the position. Mm -hmm. Listen, something none of us ever want to talk about, having a licensed professional decreases your risk and liability. And all of the administrators and legal counsels of all these clubs, all these schools, want emergency action plans. They want someone to run the emergency action plan. What position, who's where, who's calling 911, who's reacting, who's acting. And that's a very, very important component that many athletic clubs, schools, colleges, high schools have learned, unfortunately, based on litigation. So they kind of learned the hard way. And now they're like, now we need to have these people in place. Is that essentially an emergency action plan, whether it's for a club or a school, is kind of like who does what, when, and how Yep. in an emergency situation? Absolutely. So if you look, and again, I, I don't know uh, or recollect if you've played any sports mm -hmm. in high school or college. Okay. Sure. And and you shared you're from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania isn't, isn't Brooklyn, isn't Manhattan. So think about what was the sport you played? Softball. All right, so you played softball. Think about going to a softball tournament in Pennsylvania where there's 18 fields going at one time. 
I've been you, to, I have played in many of those. So yes, okay. very familiar. All right. Do they have an athletic trainer every field? Do they have an athletic trainer covering every six fields? Some of those places have certified athletic trainers covering all 18 fields. Now think about the average softball club dresses 18 people, nine for the field and replacement players. So they dress mm -hmm. 18. So now you take 18 and 18 and you times it by the 18 fields. That's a lot of people playing softball and you're only going to have one to five certified athletic trainers and you probably only have one EMT bus on site. What if there's a collision at both games at the same time? You've got to call 911. So every field, every stadium, every school, just like we have in our healthcare facilities, in our clinics, in the hospitals, there's emergency action plan. Who does what when? It could be a coach. It could be a parent. You know, some of the places have done it with safety parents or safety offices. Who 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 starts the emergency action plan? Who's calling 911? Who's mm -hmm. making sure the ambulance can get on the field? What's the easiest access? Life-threatening scenarios. We practice it every day in the professional sports. Why wouldn't we do it for all youth? So if you look at Major League Soccer, where I work, the NBA, where I work, the NHL, where I work, we practice six, seven, eight times a year for that worst catastrophe. I have friends at the New York Giants. They practice every year for that problem. We saw the Buffalo Bills not only practice it, they were able to perform it, they executed it, and they saved the life. Mm -hmm. Right here in the state of New Jersey, literally six weeks after that incident, we had a certified athletic trainer save a high schooler on the field who had a cardiac incident. And if it wasn't for that certified athletic trainer who happened to be within one minute of the field. So he wasn't covering. He was, he was, he was on another field, was oh. called immediately, but the people stood through the emergency action plan they called 911 he got there started started CPR used the defibrillator as soon as he defibrillated the athlete the ambulance was there and transported that's a great indication that emergency action plan worked mm -hmm. oh that's amazing um yeah i mean when i grew up none of this was a thing nope zero zero of that was a thing as my dad used to say rub some dirt on it you'll be okay right Right, right. So, but again, you know, it's one of those things that even if you look currently and realize I do work in the world of soccer, although the rest of the world calls it football. Right. Um, I work in the world of soccer. In fact, I fly out tomorrow for Chicago. We're running our second head injury summit with people from around the world coming in and, and, and learning about the treatment of concussion and, and head injuries. But if you look at the world of soccer, there's still countries you get hurt. The club tells you, tell, tell us when you get back. Tell us if you can play again. So think about a 15-year-old, 16-year-old at a high level tears his ACL in a country, and they give them no direction. They mm -hmm. give them no help. They don't have a system like us. So that's why it crushes me. I deal with the healthcare systems all around the world based on professional sports and the athletes I take care of. We, as American people, don't realize how good our healthcare system really is. Yes. We have to figure out something of costs. We have to figure out why are the why are certain companies making a lot of money and providers making that are giving the care giving little money. So hmm. we've got to figure that one out. <laughs> we'll save that for our political action conversation. 
But but ultimately, we have to figure out that we need to service every American citizen, and we need to give them the top quality care that all of us can get. You're a provider. You know how to navigate healthcare. I know how to navigate healthcare. Your friend that might be an accountant gets hurt. They don't know how to navigate healthcare. Who do they call? They call you up. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? So we need to educate the populace as well on how to navigate healthcare. Yeah, that just happened to me yesterday. A friend of mine texted me and said, you know, her friend has this debilitating low back pain. What, what she doesn't know what to do. Yep. Right. Whereas you or I, or I'm sure if there's any other uh, health professionals listening, we kind of know what to do. And it's still hard. Yes, it's, right? it's tough. But, you know, I've been around the world. And when people mock our health care, I'll be more than happy to take you to some of the countries I've visited. Mm. I mean, you can't believe how many athletes around the world navigate to come to the United States of America Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Um, and 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 the American citizen doesn't know that. So if your highest level athlete understands the best care is in the United States of America, the Americans need to understand we've got great care. You've just got to learn how to enter the system and what the steps are to navigate the system. Right. And right. I think, uh, and again, I, I go twofold. I think there's providers out there that truly are educating the appropriateness of the healthcare system. We try a JAG one. We try to help in any way, shape or form we can. Yeah. Yeah. As, as do I. And I I think that's really where physical therapists can shine in that role in being a point of entry and then almost a hub to refer out to other disciplines. I mean, this, that may be a conversation for another time, but I do feel like we as physical therapists can can and should be offering it, those services. It, we should be primary care right. for musculoskeletal injury. Right, right. Uh, you know, if you have a strain, a sprain, if you have muscle pain, if you're debilitated and have loss of motion, you should enter through a physical therapist who has the right and education to know if you need to see a physician or not, if you need to go get an image or not, we are trained musculoskeletal specialists. So we should be the entry point. And for the most part, you know, as we know, we have direct access. For the most part, we understand that you can come directly to us, but the public has to understand that if you're injured, you can right. come to us. I had a friend of mine, till this day, it amazes me, sprained his ankle and basically went home and was splinted for three weeks because he was told he should do nothing until he sees his doctor for three weeks. He had a first degree sprain. His, he was more debilitated and atrophied after that three weeks. Sure. And if he came direct to physical therapy, the pain would have been less, the motion would have been better, ambulation would have been great. You know, so you got to treat yourself. And as we know, you got to move it or you lose it. And, yeah. and and we are a locomotive human being and you have to locomote. Yeah. Oh my God. What a, that's terrible. Um, yeah, I agree. That's that's definitely where we should be. And like I said, that might be a conversation for another time. 
Um, but it, what, and, but I'll just add one other thing is that I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with the woman, Rebecca Griffith, and she is an advocate for physical therapy in the ED in the emergency room. So like you said, you come in with back pain. Yeah. You can rule out the, the have a physician can rule out those, you know, nefarious red flags, or they can go straight to the PT. Someone comes with vertigo. I had Absolutely. a patient with a terrible case of vertigo, went to the emergency room. So they did CAT scans and MRIs. Everything was fine. And then they just sent him home. Well, he if still couldn't, not, he still had a terrible case of vertigo. If it's not a life threatening problem, an emergency room is not the place you should be. Yeah. Emergency room is for life threatening musculoskeletal <laughs> injuries or for physical therapists. Yeah. And, and ultimately, I've got friends across the country that have relationships. JAG-1 has relationships with over 25 emergency rooms where we'll see patients directed from the, from the EDs. But ultimately, we have to understand you need to treat musculoskeletal injuries and you need the advice of a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. So as we start to wrap things up, what I would love to know from you is what do you feel is the future for athletic trainers, and and I'll add a little bit onto that, for athletic trainers and their relationship with physical therapy? Great question. So, so ultimately, when you look at certified athletic trainers, I think we're finally in the limelight, so to speak. You know, we used to be the staff. I mean, I worked at NYU in Columbia. Our office was in the basement in both places. So we're, we're finally coming up to the second floor or the third floor making all way up. But a lot of institutions are highlighting certified athletic trainers and the importance of it. And I think the profession will continue to grow as we get this cohort catch up going. The collaboration between physical therapists and athletic trainers is an amazing one because certified athletic trainers understand the incident of injury and, and the mechanism of injury. And physical therapists' knowledge base of this only helps to rehabilitate a process. And then there's return of function which both physical therapists and certified athletic trainers can collaborate to get the athlete back to a full function component and then include the performance coach. Again, that inter inter interdisciplinary approach, mm -hmm. which is very important to bring in nutrition and hydration. Um, you know, every professional team during the rehab process has a nutritionist involved, making yep. sure there's appropriateness of, of, of nutrition. So again, that interdisciplinary approach is awesome and you'll get much better outcomes with it. And I'm very proud to say JAG1 Physical Therapy tries to do that each and every day. But the biggest thing that I can leave you with is the communities that are advocating for coverage of certified athletic trainers have to realize there's a shortage right now. And there's other ways to skin the cat, so to speak, since you have a cat. Um, there's other ways to, to accomplish it, and that is to work collaboratively with someone like me. I've got about five or six of my executives in the athletic training realm that can help with emergency action plans. We have access into all of our clinics. So if you're injured, you can come into our clinic and be assessed by an athletic trainer that if that clinic happens to have it. Or we have access to certified athletic trainers. And of course, as you know, physical therapists can do evaluations as mm -hmm. well. And, sure. And I, so we try to be an avenue for the community as access points, and, and we're here to serve the best way we can. As I started with you, we are people taking care of people, and we always have to keep that in mind. 
Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think I just said that today, actually, on social media, that exact phrase, like we should be treating people like people, um, which I love. So as we end here, I'm going to ask this question that I ask everyone. And it's kind of like knowing where you are now in your life and in your career. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? So that's a, a, a fantastic question. And timing is everything. I have a new book coming out. I've written two books, both on prevention of injury. But I have a new book called The JAG Method. And basically, it takes about 12 different life stories of mine that puts it all together on what I learned from when I was 20 to now being 56. And the lessons you learn, the lessons about the utilization of mentors, not mentor, mentors, multiple mentors. I have mentors in business. I have mentors in physical therapy, mentors in athletic training, mentors in life. We need a multiplicity. So if I were to say I would have to do it all over again, when I was 18 years old, I sat with my current wife, who's my wife for 32 years, and at 18 years old in a movie, I told her exactly what we were going to do. And we've been able to live each and everything I said, have to be goal oriented. But if I had to change anything, <laughs> I would probably focus a little bit more on academics than sports. I was very focused on wrestling, going to college wrestling, trying to wrestle at an open level. And every now and then, you know, as a kid that my family went bankrupt, I had to work, there was sports, then there was school. I probably would have switched it around a little bit, but I'm mm. very, very fortunate that it all turned out okay. So academics should always be primary. Well, that's great advice. And that's, I don't think I've heard that one yet, but that's great advice. And now where can people find you if they have questions, they want to find out more about you? You can always reach out to me at info at jag1pt.com. And that's I-N-F-O at J-A-G-O-N-E-P-T dot com. Great. And we'll have all the links to your social media and everything in the show notes. Um, so if you want to follow you on Twitter or LinkedIn, we've got everything in the show notes. So people, for you listening, just go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com and one click will take you anywhere or... Whatever platform you're listening on right now, it's in the show notes in this platform as well. So you can click on any, anything, any of the links, and it'll take you right to all of your info. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. This was a great conversation. Um, and I now know a little bit more about the world of athletic training. So I thank you very much. Karen, thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity. And if, if you want to ever want to discuss the political stuff. I'll be oh, more happy boy. to come on. That, you know, I may take you up on that. Um, the, big, the biggest thing that I could say to the audience, just to preface our next meeting, Karen, is compromise is the best way to care for America. <laughs> Couldn't agree more, if only. Um, if only in this world. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on. Everyone else, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.